0: Well, I hope you have a copy of God's Word with you. And if you do, I invite you to take your Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 6. And uh, we are continuing our series that we have been in over the last several weeks. Uh, this summer looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we're coming very quickly to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, after today, we'll just have a couple of more weeks uh, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you have asked, what's next? Where are we going to go in Scripture next? And uh, the answer is that in September, uh, we are going to go to our Old Testaments and start a series in the book of Genesis. So we'll go Genesis 1 through 50, verse by verse and probably be there until Jesus comes back. So I don't know how long that will take us, we'll just go systematically through the book. So I hope that you'll go ahead and start to read the book of Genesis, start to familiarize yourself with that book and uh, prepare your hearts for what the Lord uh, might have for you. But this morning, as we look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, I wanna talk with you about this subject, wealth, worry, and worship. You know, there is a prevalence of worry in our culture today, isn't there? In fact, uh, researchers tell us that 40 million Americans over the age of 18 experience regular anxiety. That's 18% of the population. And uh, in fact, uh, as uh, researchers have done studies, they found out that uh, warriors can, just general warriors, we're talking about your run-of-the-mill average worrier, spends 55 minutes a day worrying. Those who have anxiety disorders, which is very common, average 300 minutes a day worrying. Some people even worry about worrying. Did you know that that's a thing? That is an anxiety, a fear of worrying. Now, oftentimes, the things that we worry about have to do with the the general concerns of life. But most often, one of the most frequent things that we worry about has to do with money. Uh, Do I have enough of it? Uh, Do I have enough to provide for myself? Do I have enough for my family? Uh, Will I make enough money to be taken care of? Some of you maybe are right there today. Maybe you have uh, just sent kids off to college and you're wondering, how am I gonna pay for tuition? Or maybe you're a college student, you're wondering, do I have enough scholarship money to make it to the finish line? Uh, maybe you are uh, working a job and you've, you've got a spouse and children and, and uh, there, there, there are more bills at the end of the month than you have income. And you're wondering, how am I gonna make ends meet? I don't have enough. Uh, some of you are nearing retirement age and you're worried, have I saved up enough? Am I gonna be able to make it? Oftentimes, wealth and worry are related. And Jesus has something to say about both of those things in the text this morning. Now, where Jesus has been coming from the last couple of chapters, he's been teaching uh, teaching us about how to express the righteousness of the kingdom. And two of the ways that he's addressed in Matthew chapter 6, two ways of exhibiting righteousness are through giving and fasting. Now, I've defined giving uh, as being when you give something to the Lord. And fasting is when you give up something for the Lord. Now, some of you, a couple of weeks ago, when we looked at the text, Matthew 6, 1 through 4, and we talked about generosity and how we should be giving generously to the Lord, my guess is that some of you, your heart may have tightened just a little bit as you heard about the Lord's expectation that we give generously. Generously. And in fact, some of you, maybe your heart is big and you want to give generously, but there's this little thing in the back of your mind where you're worried about, if I give away some money, how will my own needs be taken care of? If I'm generous towards others, might that put me in a financial predicament? Or maybe you just say, I'd love to give, pastor, I just don't have it. I'm spending all my money on, you know, the bills and and keeping the lights on and sending my kids to school and all these things. I just don't simply have it. Or when you heard me teach about fasting, some of you just thought, oh, man, it, it, well, how am I going to eat if I'm not supposed to eat, right? That's a natural question. If, if, if I fast, well, how will I, how will I, you know, get all the calories that I need in the day? Well, Jesus anticipates those exact kinds of questions, and he addresses them in verses 19 through 34. Verses 19 through 34 is a, is a rabbit trail. Now, you know, every good sermon has a rabbit trail or two. This is Jesus' rabbit trail in the Sermon on the Mount. He he adds a little parentheses, okay? He's been making this argument about righteousness, but now Jesus is going to anticipate that those who are hearing what he's teaching about giving and fasting might object. There there might be someone who says, I don't want to give. That's mine. We're taught to say that from a very early age, aren't we? Mine. And some of us have that mentality when it comes to our money. Mine, I don't want to give. So this is essentially the, 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 the concern of somebody who's selfish. <laughs> I don't want to give. Or the person who says, I want to give. I'm just worried about giving. I, 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 in other words, this would be the anxious heart. Uh, if I give, uh, how will I have enough money to take care of my needs? if I fast, how will I have enough food to take care of my body? That is what Jesus is addressing. Those who say, if I give generously to the Lord or give up something sacrificially to the Lord, how will I eat? How will I clothe myself? How will I be taken care of? And to those objections, Jesus gives this response. Let's look beginning in verse 19. Jesus says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye, what you look at, is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, if your gaze is wrong, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Then Jesus gives a couple of illustrations to drive home his point. Look at verse 26. Consider the birds of the sky, Jesus says. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? And can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Look at how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon, King Solomon, the richest man on earth in history, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these little wildflowers. Now, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't He do much more for you, you have a little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But as for you, you seek first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness. And all of these other things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. This is a statement we can all say amen to. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Can I get a witness? All right, now, aren't these words comforting words? I mean, just to read this text is a comfort. I think we can break this passage down into essentially three words of instruction that Jesus gives to those who are anxious about giving or anxious about fasting. The first thing I want you to see <clears throat> that Jesus says here to the person who responds to his call to giving with, with a anxious, maybe selfish heart, I don't want to give. This is what Jesus says first. In verses 19 through 24, Jesus is going to teach this, that we ought to entrust our wealth to the Lord. You ought to entrust your wealth to the Lord. Look at what Jesus says here in verses 19 through 24. Jesus gives a negative command and he gives a positive command. Okay, he's going to say, don't do this. That's the negative command. But instead, do this. That's the positive command. Look at the negative command first. Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. For those who might have heard him say that you ought to give generously to the Lord and His work. And the person who might hearing that responds by saying, I don't want to give. The person who hears Jesus' teaching about giving generously responds with a clenched fist and a clenched heart. Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves earthly treasures. In other words, don't invest your financial resources in the things that are just associated with this earth. Now, when Jesus was speaking this in the first century, um, just like in our day, those who heard Jesus' Sermon on the Mount would have had plenty of examples in their day and time of people who invested time and Energy and resources into investing in the stuff of this world. One of the guys who did that maybe more prominently than any others in Israel was a guy by the name of Herod the Great. You've probably heard of Herod the Great. Uh, he was a ruler in Israel, and Herod the Great was one of the wealthiest men of that day, and he loved to show that. He loved to flaunt his wealth. And so he he was a great builder. Uh, he had amazing construction projects all over uh, Israel. But there were two particular construction projects that he built just to impress people with how wealthy he was. The first thing that he built was uh, in a town on the Mediterranean Sea. And if you ever go to to Israel with me, I'll take you to the city. It's called Caesarea by the Sea, Caesarea Maritima. It's on the, the coast of the Mediterranean. Herod the Great decided to build himself a massive palace on the coast of the Mediterranean. You can see a reconstruction of his palace uh, on the screen, and if you go to Israel today, you actually can see the ruins of his palace. Now, what was interesting about the palace is Herod the Great built it into the Mediterranean, so it was surrounded on three sides by just the beautiful waters of the of the Mediterranean Sea, and it was a massive structure. It was very ornate. I mean, even today, uh, architects would look at something like this and be very impressed. But what made this really unique was that Herod the Great included something in his, in his house whose sole purpose was to impress people with how wealthy he was. Right there in the back courtyard, you can see it in the middle of the screen, Herod the Great built himself a swimming pool. Now, what was unique about the swimming pool is it was a fresh water swimming pool. The Mediterranean Sea, of course, is salt water. He could have piped in some salt water, had a nice salt, salt water pool, but he said, no, I want to show people just how wealthy I am. I'm going to build a freshwater swimming pool. Now, how do you build a freshwater swimming pool in that day and time? Well, here's what he did. He built an aqueduct that piped in water from the mountains all the way to the coast into his backyard swimming pool. And in fact, you can still see the aqueduct today. It's still standing. So this was like an amazing construction project extravagant in that day just to show people how wealthy i'm so wealthy i can build myself a freshwater swimming pool and if where do you get the fresh water well oh, i'll just build an aqueduct that brings me my fresh water this is the equivalent to having a restroom with gold faucets <laughs> the only purpose for this is to flaunt your wealth he also built himself a vacation home a place called Masada. If you come to Israel with me, I'll take you to Masada. Masada is an amazing mountain fortress. It's very hard to access. It's out in the desert. This massive mountain fortress. Well, he builds himself this amazing. I mean, it was a, it was an over-the-top palace on top of this rock mountain. And just to show people how wealthy he was, he put in vineyards which would have been technologically very impressive to be able to do that up on the Rock Mountain in that day, he put in olive trees. Now, olive trees don't grow naturally. You'd have to transplant those olive trees. And then across all of the houses, he used purple paint all over the houses. Now, purple paint's a little, whatever it is, it is, okay? why would you paint your house purple? Well, the kind of purple ink that he used is extracted from a snail, it's a very rare kind of ink. To produce one gram of this purple ink, you would have to kill 10,000 snails. And his buildings were just lathered with this purple ink. The only reason you do that is to display your wealth. So this is the kind of environment that Jesus is living in, that the people around him are living in. And he just says, listen, don't be Herod the Great. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't give yourself to just the lavish eccentricities of and luxuries of life on this earth. Why? Because those things don't last. If you go to Caesarea Maritima, you know what you're going to see with Herod's palace? You're going to see ruins. It didn't last. It's now rubble. You go to Masada, you can't see the purple ink anymore. It has faded away with time. And that's exactly what Jesus says in verse 19 don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust will eventually destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Some of you had a 1968 Mustang back in high school, and it was a beauty back in its day. It's been sitting in your garage for a few decades, and now you go out and it's rusted. Some of you, you say, Man, I'm gonna buy a nice suit. I'm gonna get an Armani suit. You put that suit in your closet, and before long, a little moth climbs into your closet and decides to munch a hole through that Armani suit. And what was so beautiful now is worthless. Jesus is saying, If you invest your treasure into the things of this world, you need to realize it is temporary. It is transitory. Moth can destroy, rust can destroy, thieves can break in and steal. You can invest all of your resources into your your, uh, investment account and one turn of the market and poof, it's gone. Can I get a witness? Here today, gone tomorrow. So Jesus says, don't invest your life into the things that are so temporary. Even if you invest yourself into earthly treasures, one day you're going to die and it's not going to do you any good. Your kids are going to put you in a box into the ground, hopefully say some nice things about you, and then all the things that you've collected and put your money into, it's not going to help you beyond your own life. Here today, gone tomorrow. So, Jesus says, instead, instead of investing your financial resources in the stuff of today, store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. He's saying, why would you consider giving? Well, because this is an opportunity to invest in the things of eternity, to invest in the things that will outlast you, to invest in the things that will matter long after you're dead. If, if you invest your material resources in the stuff of today, then once you, you die, it's, it can't benefit you anymore. If instead you'll invest your, things in, in, uh, your, your resources in the things of heaven, it will outlast you. Look what he says right there, verse 20. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust will destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Moths can ruin your Armani suit. Moths cannot ruin your investment in the things of heaven. Rust can destroy that 68 Mustang. Rust cannot destroy your investment in the things of heaven. Thieves can come into your house and steal whatever you might happen to to have hidden in your house, but thieves cannot break in and steal the things that you invest that matter for eternity. There are things that are lasting and there are things that are not lasting. And Jesus says, invest your life and invest your resources in the things that will outlast you. What he's saying is simply this, invest your resources in the things that will matter 10,000 years from now. That's what you ought to give your things to. That's what you ought to give your attention to. That's how you ought to invest your life and your resources. Now, for those who need convincing, Jesus gives three reasons for this. Look at the arguments that he makes here in verses 21 through 24 as to why we ought to store up treasures in heaven. Number one, he says in verse 21, "'For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also.'" Jesus says, your affections lie with your treasure, whatever that is. Wh- where you spend your money reveals something about your heart. Where you invest your financial resources reveals what you love the most. If you took a look at your bank a- a- account, what would it say about your priorities? Would it say that your Priorities are earthly-oriented or heavenly-oriented? Are they temporal or are they eternal? Jesus says, why should you care about giving generously to kingdom work? Because it actually reflects something about my heart. If all of my treasure is wrapped up in the stuff of this world, what does that say about my heart? It says something sick here. If my heart is with Jesus, if my heart is heavenly-oriented, that ought to make a difference in how I spend my money. Then the second reason that Jesus gives in verses 22 and 23, Jesus gives an illustration. It's a little unusual illustration. He he talks about the eye. He says, verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, Jesus says, your whole body uh, will be healthy. It'll, It'll be full of light, he says. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. So, if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? What Jesus is simply saying is this, if your your eye is bad, your whole body is bad. What does that mean? He's saying if if your gaze is wrong, your life will be wrong. You know that your your body moves in the direction of your gaze. Uh, How do I know that? Well, because I drive with some of you on the roads… And there's this little thing called rubbernecking. When you're driving down the road and you see something happen on the side of the road and you turn your neck like rubber, right? Your eyes, the gaze of your eyes is moving this way. Your car will slowly begin to follow. It'll begin to drift in the direction of your gaze. Now, that's all Jesus is saying here. He's saying your life will drift in the direction of your gaze. In other words, if your eye is set on money, if your gaze is set on wealth, as goes the eye, so goes the heart. If your gaze is wrong, your life will be wrong. If you, if you fix your gaze on wealth, it will grip your heart. That's why he says, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. To borrow a line from Jonathan Swift, Jonathan Swift said, a wise man has money in his hand, not in his heart. And Jesus says, if you... Aim your eyes with money as your goal. You'll find that your life will follow. It will grip your heart. Then there's one final reason that Jesus gives. In verse 24, he gives another analogy. This one having to do with slavery. Look at verse 24. Why, Why should we invest our life in the things of eternity? Because no one can serve two masters. Since either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is saying this, when money is in your heart, it puts you in chains. It enslaves you. Have you ever noticed that? When money is your ultimate priority, you never seem to have enough. If that's what you really care about the most, you begin to serve it as a slave. It puts you into bondage. You never have enough, and you begin to give your life just to making more. You become enslaved to money as your goal, and beyond that, even as your God. And Jesus says, why should you store up things in heaven? Why should you give generously? Because you can't serve your money and serve God. A, a money heart is slavery. And Jesus says, you can be devoted to your money or you can be devoted to Him. You cannot serve both God and money. Often our worries would be released if we could put money in its proper place. Amen? So, if you're hearing what Jesus has to say about giving the beginning of chapter 6 and your and your heart and your hands begin to tighten over your stuff then just hear this word from Jesus today you can entrust your wealth to the lord you can trust him in this area of your life you can release this to jesus listen if you can trust jesus with your eternity can't you trust him with your generosity jesus says for those who say <coughs> how will we have enough if we give. It just says, invest your things in the matter, your, your stuff in the things that will matter 10,000 years from now. But then there's a second word of instruction He gives us in verses 25 through 32. Jesus is going to say, not only should we entrust our wealth to the Lord, we also should submit our worry to the Lord. Those of us who are worried about giving, what will happen? Will I have enough if I give? Will I have enough to take care of me? If I give generously, will I I have enough to take care of my family? If I fast, how will I have enough food to actually survive? Jesus says three times in these verses, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Submit your worry to the Lord. Look what he says in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, Or about your body, what you will wear? Isn't life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Someone who says, okay, I can't serve God and money, so I'm supposed to give my money, I'm supposed to be generous, well, then how will I be taken care of? Jesus speaks to that. He's expressing a concern that the listeners might be having. What will we eat or drink if we're supposed to fast? What will we wear? If we give away our money, now, those concerns are a response to Jesus' command about fasting and giving. And, and I think if we're honest here, the concern that Jesus is giving voice to here in verse 25, the concern is a little overblown. This reminds me sometimes of how children respond. When kids say, "I'm hungry," and mom says, "Great, you can't have a snack right now. We're going to be eating in 30 minutes." And the kid says,. I'm going to starve to death. It's like a little overblown, a little exaggerated. That's the concern right here that Jesus is expressing. So the person says, Jesus, you're asking me to give. Well, how will I have enough clothes? How how will I have enough money to buy clothes? Do you really want me to walk around naked? Because I've given all my money away and I can't buy any clothes. Jesus, you're asking me to fast? Well, then how? I'm going to starve to death. How will I have anything to eat or drink? Do you, do you realize that so often our worries really are exaggerated concerns? Worry so often is when we we take a maybe a legitimate concern and we blow it out of proportion. <clears throat> Worry is when you take a molehill and you turn it into a mountain. Uh, this is something interesting. You know, if you <clears throat> if you had enough fog in this in this room, fog f o g. Uh, if you had enough fog that filled up the space of one acre around and one meter deep, if you condensed that fog into water, do you know how much water you would have? Less than an eight-ounce glass of water. That means that fog could cover this entire room, but it's only worth about a glass of water. Folks, that's how oftentimes we look at the things that worry us. We blow our problems out of proportion, but they just amount to a glass of water. Issues that seem sometimes huge in the moment, if you just give them a year or two, you'll look back and you're like, man, that was not as big of a worry as I thought. I survived, I made it, I lived. And you look back at the thing that just stressed you out and that you were preoccupied with and that you were anxious, you look back and you say, boy, that really was kind of blown out of proportion in my mind, that's what happens when we worry. We blow out of proportion. We have exaggerated concerns. How much much smaller will those things seem when seen in the light of eternity? But that's the concern being expressed here. But I think as you look at verse 25, the questions that Jesus is giving voice to, what, what will I eat? What will I drink if I'm supposed to fast? If I'm supposed to give? How will I have enough money to buy clothes? What's the real heart concern that's expressed in those questions? I think the real heart concern of someone who might be asking those questions of Jesus is simply this. Jesus, you're telling me to give, sacrificially even. Jesus, you're telling me to fast, to give up something as basic as food. But but if I give or if I fast, if I give up stuff, how will my needs be taken care of? If I I don't look out for me by making sure that I have enough money to buy the things that I need and enough money to buy the food that I need to eat, well then, who will look out for me? And maybe you have shared that same heart concern at times. If I don't take care of me, who will take care of me? If I'm not concerned about my own financial well-being… You know, mom and dad, they may not do it for me. My, my friend, they may not do it for me. If, if I don't secure my own financial position, if I don't make sure that my material needs are met, then who else is going to look after my needs if it's not me? And to that, I want you to hear what Jesus says. Look at verses 25 through 32. Jesus begins to respond to those who have those heart-type questions With just a series of statements about what God does. Notice the action of God in these verses. Look down at verse 26. He says, Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet, look at this, your heavenly Father feeds them. So just write out next to that in your margin God feeds. If you're worried about how you're gonna have enough food to eat or water to drink, just understand God feeds. And Jesus asks a question. If God feeds the little birds, he uses the argument from the lesser to the greater here. Aren't you worth much more than they? I mean, who really cares about birds? I don't care that much about birds. I don't think about birds that often. And yet God takes care of those little birds. And if God takes care and looks after and feeds the little things that no one really takes notice of, but God does, how much more will He look after your needs? How much more are you worth to God than the little birds? You you are the crowning achievement of God's creation. If He looks at the little things, He'll look after the important people. (laughs) That's you, right? Not to say that birds are not important, all right? Don't email me. But (laughs) it's just to say the birds are the small things. God even looks after the small things. He'll look after you. Because you're worth more to him than than the birds are. Not only does God feed, God clothes. Look at what he says next in verse 28. Why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. And yet I tell you, not even Solomon and all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how, look at this, God clothes. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is, it's here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow... Won't he do much more for you? Once again, an argument from the lesser to the greater. Look at the little flowers of the field. They don't last very long, especially in Texas heat. They wither, and yet they're beautiful. God clothed them that way. If God takes care of the little stuff, the little flowers that that are so temporary, Won't he do much more for you? Now, that phrase, won't he do much more, you ought to circle or underline that. Notice the way Jesus is using the language. He says it in verse uh, 26. Aren't you worth more? He says it in verse 30. Won't God do much more? He says it again later in chapter 7, down in verse, uh, let's see what it is, verse 11. If you who are evil, you know this part, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask? What he's saying is, understand the character of God. God is the God of much more. If you're concerned about food and drink and clothes, and you're worried that if you give generously, nobody's going to be looking out for you, understand this. God will do much more for you. You are worth much more to God. God feeds the birds, he'll feed you. He clothes the flowers, he'll clothe you. God will take care of you. Verse 32, not only does God feed and God clothe, verse 32 tells us that God knows. Are you worried? Are you anxious about life? God knows. Verse 32, he says, uh, verse 31, don't worry, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. The Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. This is exactly what he said earlier in chapter six in verse eight when he's talking about prayer. He says, you know, uh, don't go on with vain repetition in your prayers thinking that God is gonna suddenly pay you attention because of all your words. God already knows what you need before you ask him. That's an amazing statement. God knows what I need. You see what worry is? Worry is failing to believe that God knows what I need. Worry is failing to believe that God has my life under control. Worry is failing to believe that God actually cares about my life. And to that, Jesus says, look at what God does for the birds. Look at what God does for the flowers. You're worth more to God than those things. And God can feed, and God can clothe, and God knows what you need. And not only does God know what you need, He cares about you. That's why First Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares on the Lord. Why? Because He cares for you. God sees your needs. He knows the things that you need that maybe no one else knows you need. The reality is some of you are bearing anxiety and worry and you've brought it into this room like a burden on your back and there are some things that are such deep heart level worries, you'll never tell another person about it because it's so heavy, you don't even know how to put it into words. God knows. God sees that. God cares for you. In that. I, I love the Old Testament word. It's in Hebrew for God is provider. In Hebrew, it's literally God sees. God sees. God sees what I need, and He'll provide for me. God sees what I need. He knows what is worrying me, and He'll take care of it. He'll provide. Do you, do you sense God's love for you in this? Do you see how much God cares for you in this? it's it's why Jesus is going to say just a couple of chapters later, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. You can, what's the, the gospel song that we sing? Take your burdens to the Lord and what? Leave it there. You can take the things that are weighing you down, bring those worries. Listen, whether it's worries about food or worries about clothing or worries about money or worries about something else, you can take what worries you To a God who sees you and knows and cares and will provide and will feed and will clothe. And you can rest on the character of God in the midst of your worry and anxiety. Which is why Jesus concludes from all of that. He says something three times. Verse 25, verse 31, verse 34. Don't worry. Submit your worry to the Lord. He cares for you. He'll take care of you. Here's the amazing thing. We were talking... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little rabbit trail, all right? Told you every ser- good sermon has one. Here's a little side street. This is free, okay? It doesn't cost you anything. We, we were having a conversation around our dinner table last night. Every Saturday night, we have a family devotional, and we were talking about the idea that there is no mess that we can make that is so big that God can't rescue us out of it. And we talked about this idea that in the midst of our mess... God is both willing and able to rescue us. Can we say that together? God is both willing and able. It would be one thing if God was willing to help us, but not able to help us. Maybe He's kind-hearted, but not powerful enough. It would also be in something else if God was able to help us, but not willing to help us. He's powerful enough to do it, but not kind enough to do it. God is both willing and able he is both kind enough to do it and powerful enough to do it and so whatever has burdened you whatever has worried your heart believe in a big god today believe that god is big enough able enough and willing enough to take care of you amen all right now i'm preaching let me just finish this text okay one last verse one last instruction if we have a worried heart, listen, especially as it relates to money, entrust your wealth to the Lord. Trust Him in that area of your life. Submit your worries to the Lord. He cares for you. But but here's really the antidote to worry. So, the final thing Jesus says, He, He teaches us to focus our worship on the Lord. Focus our worship on the Lord. Look at verse 33. He says, look, the Gentiles, they're they're seeking after these other things, food and clothes and all the the, the material stuff of this world. But but you, verse 33, in contrast to that, you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things that that tend to worry our hearts, these other things will be provided for you. What he's saying is simply this, if you're anxious about wealth or you're anxious with your worries… Seek first the kingdom and trust the Lord with the rest. Amen? Amen. Seek God first, and you just trust Him with all the the other stuff. Make Him your priority. As a first order of importance, seek the things associated with God's rule and reign in your life and His righteousness in your life. And then you just trust Him with, with your food and your drink and your clothes and all the other stuff that tends to weigh down your heart. Oftentimes we worry because we're seeking after the wrong things. We're, we're putting other things first. How many anxieties come from just simply seeking the wrong things in life and being worried that we may or not, may, may not a, a, achieve what we're seeking? One of the ways to confront anxiety is simply by resetting our priorities so that the kingdom is our, our most important priority. If, uh, if you seek wealth first, you'll find that it's, it's never within your grasp. It's fleeting. You'll, you'll be worried you don't have enough. If, if you seek clothing or food or drink first, then you'll find that it's unsatisfying. It never delivers on its promises. But if you seek Christ first, if He becomes the overwhelming priority of your life, if He becomes the greatest concern in your heart and your mind, you'll find Him. And you, you'll realize He takes care of all of the rest. This is what C.S. Lewis said he said the principle runs through all life from top to bottom give up yourself and you'll find your real self lose your life and you will save it submit to death death of your ambitions and your favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life keep back nothing nothing that you have not given away will really be yours Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find Him, and with Him, everything else thrown in. Are you concerned about giving or fasting or anything else? Are you worried that you might not have enough? Listen to Jesus today. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Instead, store up treasures in heaven. Don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or wear. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Amen? Let's bow together. Lord, it is so difficult to release and submit anything. because our hearts want to hold on tightly. Our hearts want to hold on tightly to our stuff. Our hearts want to hold on tightly to our worries. Thank you for this invitation to just come and release that to you. Lord, focus our attention and our worship on you. Help us to seek you. Help us to just make you the center of our lives so that our worries no longer matter and our wealth is no longer our master because you have become the center of our lives. It's not possible in our own strength. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to reshape us, to do radical surgery in our hearts so that our priorities are what they should be Help us to have a big view, God, of you. Help us to believe that you are who you say you are. I pray for the worried heart today in this room, that they'd be able to submit that at your feet, that they would feel your love in return. And we pray this in your name. Amen.